All right, we're back for another uh, phenomenal episode uh, for the podcast Above the Standard. I'm Chris Hagen. Uh, and if you haven't already, go to our Instagram handle uh, at barbell underscore battalion. Follow our stuff. Uh, like and review this podcast. Follow it on Spotify. Follow it on iTunes. Uh, but today on the episode, we talk with Battalion Chief Brian Bastinelli from the Harrisburg Fire Department in Pennsylvania. Uh, and we talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about training leadership and uh, employing technology into the fire ground and how to use that information to make ourselves better uh, on the next run. Uh, and we also talk, talk about the conference, the Art of Firemanship Days. Um, probably like many, it was canceled due to COVID. And, and we're going to talk about that, why they put it on, and where they're going to go from here. I'm hoping it comes back in 2022. Um, but I had so much fun talking to him. He's a hell of a great guy. Uh, so please give it up for... Battalion Chief Brian Bastinelli, uh, and we're re- recording. Um, Brian, I appreciate um, you kind of taking this time uh, this morning to talk to us. I know you're um, a battalion chief with uh, Harrisburg Fire Department in Pennsylvania, um, and uh, I, I don't know if you're the curator of the uh, Art of Firemanship uh, days. But uh, how did you, what was your intro into the fire service and how long have you been kind of serving with um, Harrisburg? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, and that you thought of me to, uh, you know, to have this discussion with. So I appreciate that. Um, I've been with Harrisburg for 24 years. Um, it'll be going on 25 this this coming year, um, I started back in '96. I was uh, I originally started as a fireman uh, with a small volunteer company, Bushkill Township, uh, Pennsylvania, when I was uh, a senior in high school, and I was the first person in my family to kind of get into the fire service. And I just followed up with uh, with it, kept going. I didn't originally want to be a fireman. Uh, I as a career, I was uh, hoping to be a flight paramedic. And then I went to a fire and everything changed <laughs> from that point on. Um, and then I knew that this is what I really wanted to do. Uh, so I just kind of pursued it. I tested it a lot of places and I was lucky enough to be hired by Harrisburg uh, back in 96. And I've been there ever since. So um, when when did you start? What, what was the brainchild of the Art of Firemanship Days? And I love the concept of establishing that term and I, and I don't know if you guys established that term but you guys still use the term and that that term is is firemanship it's such a I think that's such a great encompassing term for our profession because it's either labeled you're a fireman you're a firefighter and and I love the there's so much weight and there's so much depth to the term firemanship and it's just this um the, in my opinion this return to the cultural endeavors that kind of made the job itself what it is um even at its most basic um operations but it's such a i i love the term so where was the genesis of art of firemanship and why was it created and and kind of explain um that for people that might not know what that is sure so uh the art of firemanship days is a uh, multi-day right now we're at four days uh, training conference, and it's held in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we have two days of lectures, uh, like lecture hall style programs, and then two days of hot classes. 
we kind of co-host it with the Harrisburg Area Community College. We use their their facilities, and they're a huge supporter of the of the whole thing. Um, the program started well. We dreamed it up basically at the kitchen table at the firehouse years ago, and we had asked the fire department administration at the time uh, several times if we could start a conference. And, you know, we, for various reasons, uh, we got the no-go on that. And then um, over time, we got a new uh, fire chief. Uh, there's a new administration in the city. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, let's give it a shot. We started out small with a couple days of, of classroom sessions. And then one of the things that was, we're big on feedback from the, from the students, and one of the things that they said is we want to do hot. So we knew logistically that that was a nightmare and it was going to be a challenge for us. But, you know, we didn't really know anything about doing a conference jumping into this arena. So we said, well, we don't really know anything about doing hot trainings, but a lot of our guys are state instructors and stuff. And, you know, we know how to we know how to do training. So how hard could it be? And uh, so we did it and we added that on. We got Hack to partner with us. And, um, you, you know, let us use their facilities for the program. And that's kind of how it was born. Um, and we've been kind of evolving the conference ever since then. It's not really ever been the same from year to year because we, we see what works and what doesn't. We try and get rid of what doesn't work and, and add more of what does work. And just keep it basic, um, you know, to, to go on to what you said about uh, firemanship. I, I think firemanship is, is critical to the fire service because it, it, to me, it represents the task level skills that, that we do. Everything we, we do as a, as a fire department is based off of those task level skills. And if your firemanship isn't good, then you're not going to really move well beyond any of that. So when you, when you take that back to a fireman, when your task level skill set isn't good your strategy and tactics and stuff aren't going to save you because you're going to be failing way back way back at the beginning and that's what the conference is about it's it's blue collar you know skin and bones basically let's get out there and work on the stuff that makes us good at the core of our job and that's what we try and and hold it to uh we think that's you know that's really important and uh you know if we if we're accomplishing that then we're happy with everything that's going on. So when you think of firemanship, like uh, uh, in your mind and, and how you guys have developed it, when you say firemanship and you say those task level things, what 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 tasks are what what, what comes to mind? What what do you lock in on when you think of firemanship? I think firemanship is everything from you know putting your gear on to stretching lines, uh, forcing doors, throwing ladders, doing searches, dragging hose, uh, and doing those things in an efficient and effective manner. Um, that is the core of everything that we do. Everything beyond that either builds on those things or is a different skill set. Like you could, you could say we do rescue, we do, um, you know, technical rescue, th those kind of things. Yes, we do. But as a core competency for a fire department, suppressing fire is the thing that we do. 
and all of the skills that we need to rescue people from fire and extinguish fire is what I consider firemanship to be. Uh, the, the ability for you to carry those out in an efficient and effective manner. That's, that's basic firemanship. Where, so having that mindset, when did, when did this, and, and maybe it was from the get-go, but uh, this mindset of, of, of dialing in these skill sets in the art of firemanship, when did this start to become really ingrained in, in, in your mindset, in your lexicon, and, and, and what or who or both um, helped kind of establish that within yourself? So, first of all, let me let me just make it super clear. I have had ups and downs in my career pretty much like anybody else. So there was plenty of times that I walked through the door of the firehouse kind of disenchanted or not really on the path that I wanted to be, not really sure of of why. And, and you know, if you're in the fire service, you know that over time you, you get beat down for various reasons and you you maybe are not who you want to be. And there was plenty of time for me like that, where I kind of was all ate up with the fire service. I, I got in and then at some point you kind of hit the cruise control. And then once the cruise controls on, you can start to kind of back off. And at some point I realized, Hey, this isn't who I want to be as a fireman. I need to re-engage and I need to start looking uh, for people that are going to help me re-engage at, at the level that I want to be, what, what I swore to, what I told people I was going to be, and what we tell people as a fire service that we are. Um, so there were people in my department that I, I found as mentors that were able to keep me motivated, answer questions, kind of drive me forward. But at the same time that that was happening, I think social media in its early stages kind of started to connect us with people that um, could do that for you as well. And for me, there was there was people that I, I started connecting to around the country um, via um, dating myself, but, you know, uh, America Online chat. And, you know, you could reach out to people, you could kind of cold call them on there and either they would talk to you or, or they wouldn't. And, um, you know, I, there was a couple people that I found that I was able to get in touch with there and, and, and talk with on a regular basis, ask questions to you and answer. And they kind of became mentors. Um, and then as time progressed, um, you know, social media developed and, and those contacts started to uh, increase. And then there was opportunities that started, like other conferences started coming up. Um, you know, I met a lot of people uh, that I really have connected with at Andy Frederick's days. And, um, you know, some of, some really good friends have come out of that. And those kind of opportunities started to spring up for me. And I started to make those connections. And then I was able to uh, build my group of, of mentors and build my group of friends and, um, and, and just start kind of, getting myself submerged into that mindset uh, with that group of people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that just, as you're talking to me, I had, I had, so 
I had such a personal connection to to you know that the when you say the thing cruise control, but my my kind of time frame or my my story is a a cruise control where I just thought I was good, right? And then and then one day it like it cra- it came to a crashing halt. Um, you know, I was <clears throat> I think through I think just through my academy, through a lack of training, through um the training that we did have that was kind of substandard, um, it really kind of elevated, I think, my level of, of, of um, knowledge in the fire service. And, you know, you, you, you kind of have to have some sort of incident to kind of take yourself out of the bubble and realize, like, like, you, like a personal assessment and audit on, on your own skill set. And so when, I'm going, when, I, when I was going through the academy, and even into you know you know being on the job for you know years you know I thought I had kind of my shit dialed in and uh, I'm nothing no, nothing jumped out at me that I was a a, a bad fireman and then uh, kind of the people around us the people we mutuated with kind of had the same I was kind of the same standard um, the same kind of skill sets so I I was kind of viewing myself as this young hotshot and you know I was good and then. Um, Gary Lane compiled the Andy, the uh, the book of Andy Fredericks, and I, and I read that and realized how much of a piece of shit I am, and and how little um, I knew, and and that opened up this entire um, network of like, I mean, just just absolutely great firemen that I. I had no idea existed, and there's so many people out there that that have been locking on to to good quality training out there for people that have been doing it for years. And I'm over here, the small bedroom community north of Detroit, thinking that I'm I'm pretty damn good. But then you then you start to learn and have some knowledge, and it kind it a hundred percent reset my path and reset my mindset on literally on. On every single thing relating to firemanship, got flipped on end for myself. I mean, we, I went like we we'd go, and I thought I was good. We were doing the the ifsta uh, boot to boot, you know, two three man searches of a bedroom. And in the time, I'm thinking that's fine. You know, I you know this is how you search a room. This is what we do. And then like you realize like like that's a like I get they do that for the book in the academy. But that will save very little people when when the time counts, and you're going in there because seconds matter, and it really. So I connected. So Brian, I connect so much on what you say about the the, um, the cruise control thing and just kind of this upend of um, of it. So it, everything you're saying makes um, makes total sense. And what did you take away? Those, those mentors that you had. Um, on there what kind of qualities in them um did they kind of help shape you um because there's always this this kind of this, this conversation of like be you know be the leader be the senior man be be that person in the firehouse that you kind of wish you had um so what qualities um or what attributes did you kind of key in on um on those mentors that uh, kind of helped i guess um develop this framework that you have moving forward well, I think it's dedication, um, humility, and dedication probably were the two biggest things that 
you know, to go along with what you said, you know, I, I think I, I went through that um, same scenario. You come out of the academy, you you get on a job and you're going to fires. And I think this is critical for the whole fire service is um, because the fire goes out and we return to the station, that's a win. That's success. I mean, it could be a disaster on the fire ground, but we count it as a success as globally. And when, you know, that just kind of helps getting you off your mark slowly, you know, that it's like that error creep. You like you slowly just start moving away from where you should be. And it's incrementally day after day you get these, you, you complete the task, but you don't necessarily complete it successfully, but completion becomes success. And then all of a sudden you're way off course and you're like, man, how did we get here? A lot of times, well, many times that happens because something terrible happens and you have to reset. But sometimes you can just realize, hey, we're, we're off course and, and hopefully you can reset before that terrible thing happens. So I think that happens to a lot of people and to a lot of departments where you you set out for for a goal that is pure and then all of a sudden you're you're off track. And somehow you got to recognize that you're off track and get and get back on. So I totally um, that's where I was. And I think that uh, that's where a lot of people go. I think that's a very common story in the fire service. We just don't talk about it that much because it's I don't know, it's embarrassing. You don't you don't you. Yeah, you nobody, don't yeah be... nobody wants to admit that they're terrible, you know, especially around right. people around them. Right. Like, no, you know, right. The, the guy writing next to you in the back or your officer doesn't want to hear. Or, or you think they don't want to hear that, that hey, get, hey s- sorry, LT, I, I just realized yesterday I'm a pretty terrible uh, guy on this job, right? Like, so, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, it, I, think I think it takes a special person to say that. Like, that's right. That's not going to happen. Right. right? Um, because we know, well, we could talk about it later, one, how I kind of adapted from that um, at a at a platoon level when we do our training i that's one of the factors that and i don't want to get off topic but that's one of the factors that i use to kind of drive how i I like to see training done but back to your question um i think that you know that humility um and dedication drive and just grit like you're going to get ground down by this job and you have to keep going um that's that's what we're for that's what the fire department is for like you know, people call us at a very desperate and vulnerable time in their life, and we are the solution. And, you know, the fire department calls other resources from time to time, specialized agencies or whatever, but there's no other major response agency that is going to come in and take over for us. We have to come up with the solution. So when, when we're faced with those kind of things, you you have to be able to identify like we have to come up with a solution one way or the other here we are the answer to these people's problem and that's a huge burden for us and in order for that to take place for us to be to accomplish that we have to be humble we have to learn lessons when they're presented to us we have to keep that in our pocket going forward maybe we adapt what we do uh, or we completely wholesale change because of something, but we have to acknowledge our vulnerabilities and be humble about that. And then 
address it and move forward. And that's where that dedication and that grind comes in. You know, you just keep going. There's no option. You have to keep going. And I think that those people that I, I try to surround myself with have that mentality. Uh, They taught that mentality to me, uh, whether it's people in my department or people from other parts of the country. Um, And then I, you know, I have mentors that are not in the, in the fire service. My, my grandfathers, uh, my father, you know, they, they did that in their lives. They, they just, you put your head down and you do the work. And those are the kind of people that I, that I look to um, whether it's in history or in, in life right now, those are the kind of people that I try and surround myself with or learn from, because I think that that is the core of who we should be as firemen. Yeah. Yeah. Without question, because I think what gets lost on us, and I think one of a, a, a giant detriment at least to it to my area and i've said it before on a couple other kind of shows but if if i'm going through it if i'm thinking it um you know there's really nothing you know unique about my, my myself in this job so if i'm thinking it if i'm feeling it if i'm experiencing it i guarantee you there's a hundred other guys on a hundred other agencies going through the same damn thing and talking with other people we we have people with different names and you know social security numbers but every personality we every every job every every firehouse has the same guy they have the same personality um and a lot of times the the same issues um and i think when we kind of get into this um this this mission creep sort of thing um we kind of distance ourselves from the understanding that the public you know, there's no there's no Angie's list when it comes to 911 response. You know, where where they chose to live, they don't get the option for who shows up. Like they don't, they they have their their furnace breaks. You know, well they 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 can go online and find the best you know best priced best best quoted people out there. Same thing with with their uh, you know with an electrician, a contractor, anything, except for what you said, the most vulnerable you know chaotic time of their life. And it's there's no other option. They didn't get a choice. They most often they didn't get a choice for when that day comes, and they didn't get a choice on who's on that rig that day. And unfortunately, for them and us, if they if we show up, and you said earlier, we show up and the and we're there, and the fire goes out. You know, in their mind, that's a win because most often than not, they don't have anything to compare it to. The people that can compare it is somebody that might, and I'm not going to say armchair quarterback it, but uh, I'll call it professional review of other guys on the job looking at this. If you don't have that sort of outside viewpoint or somebody f- with with training from outside your agency, it's just going to look at like a, just another another checkbox win. You know, we, we came in, we, you know, we, it was a little chaotic and the, and the fire went out. Um, and to say that, yeah, can you, can you imagine if the, uh, you called the HVAC guy to your house and you ended up with a smoldering pile of rubble in the basement? Like, you're not going to walk over to the HVAC guy and say, Hey man, you really tried to fix my furnace. I appreciate that. Like, thank you. Like, but we could burn a house to the ground and the people will come up and say, 
man, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like, it, like we're the, we're probably the only, you know, maybe, maybe you could see that with a doctor sometimes, um, you know, some other public service where you say, you know, Hey, thank you, you know, for you tried, like I get it, but you know, going back to, I agree with you. Like there is no other alternative. That being said, if we don't continue to nurture the fire service and, and grow it and develop it and improve it, there very well will be another option. People are, um, people are slowly starting to look at us differently. And, you know, there's a lot like the world changes is changing really fast. So, you know, there is the potential that somebody comes by and creates a new fire service delivery model that makes financial sense to municipality. I mean, it's happening in some places already, but, you know, there's other options. We we say that we're the only option and in most places we are the only option. But in the future, that may not be the case. So we need to take the time to continue to uh, to nurture this this service that we provide and develop it and change it as as the response district changes, you know, grow with our communities. If we just keep doing the same thing over and over again and not acknowledging that, then someday somebody is going to swoop in and, you know, you will be able to call, uh, you know, 912 and and get a different service that's more competitive or more efficient. So we have to stay on top of our game or, or we could lose in the future. Not only on top of our game, we as and this this is this is volunteer this is career this is union this is non-union this is making your firehouse your department as ingrained in the community as as any other thing where it is at that if you remove the the fire department model from your community then then you have one less brick holding up your community's safety stability um tradition all in once because the the delivery model is not that far-fetched you have someone you have a wealthy politician a knowledgeable politician it could be a businessman that comes in and they already do it across the country where they can you can opt for fire insurance you know what the fire the we, we checked all the data fires are going down you live in a, you know you live outside of a of a an urban large community where the fire load is more probably greater than bedroom communities outside that that area you know i'm i'm a great example of it and my my whole area is an example of it we're 30 minutes outside of detroit and we are such a small flea on on the larger monster that is detroit and and it's just that's just what we are and it is not outside the realm of thought to say that ins- that fire insurance model could come here, which would drastically cut funding, and it would just be another option that well we'll, we'll show up, and if you don't have the insurance, you know we'll we'll protect exposures. But sorry, you you didn't pay. For some, that might be tough to kind of comprehend. That's not that happens in this country. That happens. That's how it started. Yeah, that's how how, exactly that's how right. And you had the fire mark on the outside of your house, and if you didn't, you know, if you didn't have that fire mark, well, then hopefully 
everything worked out. <laughs> yeah, know? hopefully but that's how that's how we started. Hopefully everything worked out, and that's and and we have we have gotten to a point where we have and we have we have put ourselves in a whole you know spider web of different facets a, in the community, and I think to some degree it's been positive because it, it, as we've kind of you know, entangled ourselves in other skill sets and trades within the rescue community and into EMS, we are kind of holding on to that, that pillar of tradition and the pillar of, of community stabilization that I think if we like rest on our laurels, which is, I'm so thankful now that there is so much social media, um, uh, rhetoric, promoting the opposite of that of of continue continuing to grind getting better having pride in the job and making sure that you're there and as long as we have that narrative and that mindset i think that will that will serve us our best option to make sure that you know we as a an organization never go away but it takes that mindset to to think of just because this like this person's emergency is it has to be my emergency. If it's not, if I don't view it like that, I'm not going to move as fast. If I get in there, I'm not going to, I'm not going to care as much. I'm not going to sweep the floor as hard. I'm not going to give it my all. And the same thing with, with victim profiling and getting in, you can, and if anyone listens to Cody Trestrail or Brothers in Battle, it's a whole different um, set of mindsets that I think so many thousands of firemen, I think were either fed on a, on, on a, an academy based on um, uh, liability and not, anyone, not wanting anyone to get hurt in the academy versus you get on the job that it's three in the morning, you're called to a house fire and it's time to go to work and no one gives a shit about what you did the day before or what you have going on. Like you have to be able to get into that mindset because at the end of the day, this is why this is why we're here, and well, that's a I think a long, goddamn long-winded answer. I apologize for that, but no, um, you're absolutely right. You know, I tell I tell my guys, um, you know, when I came onto the shift, I'm a, I'm a new battalion chief. I've only been there for two years in that role, but I told my guys and everybody that comes onto the shift when I meet with them, like, I'm not going to knowingly send you off to your death. But we're going to operate at the fringe because that's where we're expected to operate. We're going to push ourselves to the limit sometimes. You know, we're not going to be reckless. We're not going to be dangerous. But the, you know, I get I get really annoyed with, like, you know, all of the ridiculous T-shirts and stuff that are out there and stuff. And we fly the thin red line flag and stuff like that. But. What does that mean? That that has to mean something. If you say you are the thin red line between, you know, life and death or whatever, that's very dramatic. And and people are like, ooh, like, I don't I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go run into a fire or whatever. OK, like but that only goes so far. You have to live that you have to send yourself to that point and be willing to do that and put your life on the line. Like you swore an oath to that. That has to mean something. And if we if we start, you know, getting so concerned about safety and, you know, what we what potential liability we could have, then we have to get out of this business. There is a way to to be safe. There is a way to operate efficiently, uh, you know, with respect to finances, with respect to, um, you know, consuming equipment and obviously with not getting people hurt and or killed. But at the same time, 
we're responding to a fire and there's people potentially trapped in that fire or there are people trapped in that fire. They're about to die. So, you know, what they expect is to call the people who who market themselves 24-7 as the only thing that is going to save you from that fire. Well, you better be the only thing that is going to save them from that fire. And I, I don't want to talk about specific situations, but we've seen it in the country uh, in the last year and a half. You know, we've seen we've seen people fail to meet that burden very publicly, and we've seen people meet that burden only to be punished. And that's that's something we got to figure out as a fire service. We don't want to go down that road because if you have to pause to make a decision based on the potential um, ramifications from a department or a municipality, you, that's going to really muddy the waters. And we, and we can't have that. We need people that are going to get on those trucks, respond out there, fully aware of the potential, fully trained to meet the situations, and we have to go out there and do the best we can. If we're not doing that, we're failing as a system, and we're failing as a service, and that's when somebody else is going to come in and say, we can do this differently. And then the whole model is going to change, and the, and the people that are going to suffer are the citizens who are, who are out there faced with some disaster that they didn't wish upon themselves. And then we're just going to come in and make it worse. You know, there's a lot of static change. Uh, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of static and variable things on the fire, like on the fire ground, right? But the 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 things that 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 are static that that we can't change actually give us such a strategic advantage when facing obstacles or variable issues. So when you go to the when you go to the fire ground, we can't change the makeup of our fire gear. We can't change, um, you know, the, the the on the fly the Nomex hood. We can't change the boots. We can't change the fire hose. We can't change how wet water is. But at the same time, we have those things in place. You have fire gear that, for the most part, for mo- most agencies, should be able to withstand the test of the fire ground. That's why it's you know been NFPA certified and blah blah blah. You have a fire hose. Hopefully, that you have a nozzle that you know how to flow. And that's but knowing that 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 operation, hopefully your pump operator um, knows what they're doing. But the truck has a pump, the truck has water or has municipal water supply that's coming to it. You have, like I said, the fire hose. And then once you crest the threshold of the door, not to say that you're going to put your 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 hope to God, but you have to have faith in your equipment but more so you have to have confidence in your abilities to operate that equipment because once you cross that threshold and you go past that door jam like the variable is now 100% on you now we can't change the the fire conditions and to some degree that can be a variable but how you, how fast you get in there how fast you do a search you have to overcome the, some variables going in there but you ultimately will control how fast and how strategic you're going to get from that truck to that entrance point. And I don't care if it's down a lake, a long driveway, a, a row home, like you are then the variable. Everything else is just static. 
And if we have to have this consistent mindset, and I agree 100% with what you're saying, and it, and, it, and it really kind of just speaks volumes to where we just have to maintain and continue to get to, is we have all the pieces in place, but we have to work exponentially hard to, to work and craft how quickly we're masking up, how quickly we can stretch, to look at an objective and and make that call on the fly that, that I know I'm grabbing this and not that because that will give me a strategic advantage for X, Y, and Z. And that goes for pulling line, that goes for throwing a ladder, forcing a door, softening the structure, everything that in, is involved with firemanship. But we can't just say, well... I, you know, I, I did it once, so so I'm so I, I know I'm pretty good. I know I have to get off the truck and pull pull the hose. That's there's so much you know there's it's it's so much deeper than that. Um, so you said you've been a chief um, uh, for about about two years. So when when that transition happens um, you know, to to battalion chief, you get promoted. Um, what uh, did anything change in um, in how you approached? Uh, the guys on your shift, uh, on your battalion, and um, how did it augment your training at all? Getting that promotion, or in terms of how much emphasis you put on it, or kind of talk about what what happened, uh, even through the genesis of promotions, and how as you grew and in, in transitioned through the ranks, um, maybe emphasis on training or training in general transitioned with that. Good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, so when I became a battalion chief, obviously it was a career goal of mine. I, I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, I, I look at all of this as, um, you know, it's a career job, but it's voluntary, right? Like, so I, I volunteered to go take the test to become a fireman. I volunteered to go through the academy. I volunteered to continue to work at that job. So it's my choice to be in, in any of these roles. No. No Gestapo came to my house and said, you are fireman today. You know, like that's that's not how it works. So I made those choices and I made the choices to promote up through the ranks. And it was something that I wanted to do. But because because I made that choice, I take it very seriously. Um, I have stepped into a role that uh, has a tremendous amount of responsibility. And even though I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. And I feel like I prepared through it for it through training um, over the years uh, that when they, when they say, Hey, you know, we'd we're going to promote you. Like that's scary as shit. Like that. I was like, <laughs> Oh man, it's, it's happening now. And you know, the weight of the world comes down on your shoulders. You know, when you're a company officer, um, when you're a fireman, when you're a company officer, whatever, that there's there's pressure there and and you have responsibility for your brothers and sisters and you have responsibility for the people that that are assigned with you but when you know you're kind of like a um you you're kind of like a, a grandparent to a, a, a certain extent you get to you get to have everything for a little bit and then either it ultimately goes back to the parents or you know you can you can play with the kids and then if the kids start acting badly or whatever, you, you hand them back to their parents and say, you know, man, that's, that's terrible. You got to take care of that or whatever. And then you get to go home when you're, when you're the battalion chief, you know, the, the buck stops with you um, as far as, you know, for your shift. And it's the pressure there is tremendous. Um, my decisions are going to 
either allow somebody to go home at night or not go home at night or have somebody's house be saved uh, or be destroyed. And, you know, you have to take that seriously. So training has to be a part of of who you who you are. Um, it can't stop because the world is developing constantly around you and changing. And you you need to train on uh, fire behavior, building construction strategy and tactics. But all you know when you get into these management roles, you're you're spending just as much time training on human behavior and decision making and human interaction and all of the things you know you're part social worker you're part uh confidant you're you're part um uh manager and and hopefully if you're doing all of those things well you can become a leader you're not a leader because you're in that role you know the the role of battalion chief is is managerial and it is um you know it's kind of black and white but when you dive into those gray areas and train yourself to understand those gray areas and how to operate in them, and then you succeed at that, that's how you become a leader of your personnel. So that's not just guaranteed. You, you have to, to work on that. So I take all that very seriously. Um, I really am trying to get to know um, the personnel around me. I, I think it's critical that we develop relationships. I, I need to develop relationships with my personnel, with my supervisors, with the, the uh, community that we serve, uh, with other departments. And those relationships have to be uh, nurtured all the time, constantly under development, making sure that they're okay so that they grow. And then once you start to get growth in those re relationships, you build trust. And once you build trust, that's when you can really start to do good work. If you can't, if you're not going to show up and do your job in a way that that creates trust from other people, then you're never going to be as effective as you can be. And in order to create that trust, you have to be good at what you do. And and I'm I'm here to tell you, I make mistakes all the time. And, you know, I love going to fires. I absolutely love going to fires. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they're going to happen. But, you know, I think we can get beyond that. Listen, I'm a fireman at heart. I like to go to fires, you know, so I'm going to I don't have a problem saying that. I don't wish them upon people, but if they're going to happen, I want to be there. And I I go to fires. I, I love doing it. But every time I have a fire, then I spend like the next two weeks obsessing over that fire, watching video, listening to audio, looking at pictures. And by the time I get done, I almost hate that fire because I see all the bad in it. But I look at the things that we did that we could improve on and say, okay, well, now we have to, we have to take that into account and start to work on those things and improve that. You know, we're, we're, we're an SOP driven department as far as the fire ground is concerned. Um, but our SOPs give us a, a good amount of leeway also. Our guys do really good. They know the SOPs, they know the skills, and they carry them out. And sometimes I feel like I'm nitpicking, but it's those little things that we have to concentrate on because they'll they'll get us. 
and they're just little snags and then it creates drag and then that makes you more vulnerable to the next potential issue on the fire ground and, and then all of a sudden you're you're way off course and a bunch of a bunch of things happened and you um you're having problems so you have to pay attention to those little things i have to do that myself right now i'm, I'm like deep diving on why do I not hear all of the transmissions on the fire ground? Is it me? Is it a radio problem? Is it a noise problem? And I've been, I've been, I got a, uh, the department got us earpieces for our radios. So that was one option. Then I listened back and I'm like, man, I'm still missing tra transmissions. So what am I going to do next? So now I'm trying carrying these two different radios because I, I scan. So like you have to be able to take a, take a, a really, critical look at yourself uh especially when you put yourself up in into a leadership role uh you have to look at yourself critically and constantly be improving not only for the benefit of of the personnel that serve under you um for the community but you know to create that example that hey it's okay like if i can look vulnerable be vulnerable in front of you and 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 question my own self then it's okay for you to do so as well and eventually we can get to a point where people are not so concerned about having those conversations because it's just become normal so i uh, this is also a long-winded answer i apologize but it's all no you're fine man all, all this different stuff but you have to you have to dedicate yourself to training and you have to dedicate yourself to continuous improvement and you know i i you know i'm learning uh, I watch a lot of other people's fires. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of talking to, to other departments and uh, people from other departments. And I try and, and take what they're doing and understand it and then see if it applies to our response model and our district and, you know, kind of blend it into what I'm doing. Uh, I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm willing to try stuff. I'm willing to fail and, uh, and, you know, we just have to improve. And I think that's my job as a, as a, as a new battalion chief is to make sure that I'm putting that effort in uh, so I can be the best that I can be at my job. And then I can also set the example and hope that people will follow that if I'm developing those relationships and building that trust that they can follow that. And together we all move forward and, and we're doing, you know, really good things. I'm, and I'm not so naive to say that you know, the, these these guys often don't need me. I'm kind of the the conductor of the orchestra, but the orchestra can play the song all by themselves if I wasn't there. And I know that. And the only thing that I can do is watch their back and try and help coordinate the operation. But the operation is going to go on whether I'm there or not. So um, I like to I hope to add value to the to the operation. Uh, and and I think I can do that through training and and spending the time to see what's going on out there and suggesting, you know, things we could try, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's a it's a complicated and ever changing role for sure. Uh, and my role is a little different to all of the different people that I that I work with. And it changes. They see it differently. Their perception is different of what I should be doing based on their life experience and and uh so it's interesting you got to keep a lot of you got a lot of balls in the air that you're trying to juggle and uh you know you got to know which one each one is and what size it is and 
can we stop? I should never, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not going to talk about balls and what size their balls are. You're <laughs> fine. I, you, 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 <laughs> I can't. You're fine, man. As I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm like, that yeah. is the worst thing for a fireman to be saying right now. No, no, you're fine, man. <laughs> um, but, but I get what you're saying. And um, when you review that, and you you are looking at 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 previous fires that 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 you start to start to break down and see, you know, obviously you know what we did right, what we can improve on, blah blah blah. But when you start to de- like when you start to see a pattern or maybe areas that that hey the last couple of fires we've been kind of doing it this way, um, it it really doesn't make sense to me, or I know that they're just from my personal experience that there's a there's a better option or at least, um hearing uh, uh trying to approach that crew i don't want to say confront but but approach the crew uh, uh, and or approach the boss and and see you know i guess what where they come from or what's their mindset on why they're they're going through this technique what what uh approach um do you take in this 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 can be as a battalion chief um or or any other rank any other level of, of leadership but what approach do you take to have a conversation that is not confrontational, but is in some degree questioning what they're doing, whether it's it's going to lead to a change or not? Um, going into it, what 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 do you what, what what where do you put yourself, and how do you approach a conversation like that? So one of the first things that I did when, when I met, like I had mentioned that I met with everybody, like when I came on the shift, I met with everybody. And I, I don't think that's an un, unusual thing to have happen uh, when a new officer um, comes into it, to a shift or a station. But I met with everybody and kind of set some expectations. And I, and I had a little uh, PowerPoint presentation that I did about some things with the entire uh, shift. But during that conversation, one of the things that I said was, you know, I'm going to ask questions. And part of the time that I ask questions is because I just want to know, like, I don't get to go in there and, and do this stuff anymore. So, like, I like a good fire story as much as anybody else. So tell me what you experienced. What was it like? What did you see? You know, I kind of I want to live vicariously through these guys who are still getting to go in there and, and do this stuff. Um, but at the same time, I want to have an understanding of what you saw and what you experienced and how you did it because then i can run that against um what i'm seeing and what i'm experiencing on the outside and kind of just build that um that information up for future um events so having having done that the i I tried to kind of develop a culture within the shift where you know, I'm going to ask you questions and they're not, it's not always like, I'm not always trying to get to something. Sometimes I just want to know about, Hey, how did it go? What did you do? What did you see? But other times, um, I, I, I may have a more directed reason for asking that question, but I want you to be comfortable with, you know, I'm not just coming at you, um, to, to, say, Hey, why did you do that? Or, you know, so I, I think again, developing relationships and trust is huge at, at the core of what we do. We have to have that. So, you know, I know, I know officers that that'll come at you first and then eventually get to the question, but by that time you've pissed everybody off. So I like to do it 
you know, a little bit differently. Nobody likes for somebody to come up and be like, yo, what, what did you do that for? But I try to ask those questions in a way like, Hey, I want to understand what you did that. Like, what, how come, like, what did you do that for? Like, not just because I ask you doesn't mean that I am um, looking for something. I might just be asking you to say, Oh, okay, well, did that work? Maybe that's something we should consider. Or, you know, like, again, like if you deviate from an SOP, then deviate from the SOP, but have a good reason for doing it. And then I'll support you. If you just didn't do it because you're not following the SOPs or, you know, you're going rogue for for whatever reason, or if you try and cover up that, no, no, we didn't do that. Like then we'll have a problem. But if you can deviate from a policy or do something that's a little crazy and have a good reason for why you did it, then, you know, Hey, maybe we should look at that. Maybe there's a good reason to change that SOP uh, to, to more what, what you're talking about or, you know, that kind of thing. So I, what I try to do is just develop the relationship where we can have a conversation. So if I do have a question, I can come to you. You're not already building walls because the battalion chief is coming to you to ask you a question about what you just did. Like, I don't, I don't want to be, um, seen as, as a threat in that way. Like, Hey, we're in this together. Let me understand why you did what you did so that we can move forward either in uh, pushing this as a, a potential option or, you know, educating people like, hey, maybe we could try this or maybe we have to just take a couple steps back and, and do some drills on on something that, that didn't go the way it was supposed to. And, um, you know, I, I think that's the easiest way to, to the, the easiest way to build trust is to just be out there and ask the questions all the time and have the discussions. So then when you do have a situation that's a little more, um, that's a little uh, more, I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but you know, serious, I guess, then it's not as uncomfortable. You're willing to have that conversation because we always have that conversation. Yeah, and, and we, I, I go ahead. No, you're fine. No, keep going. Well, I was gonna say I, I try to, you know, I do a pretty aggressive after action review, um, um, not only for myself but for the for the shift, and we get together and we talk about that, and and that's another thing that we do. Like we talk about it. I expect you to look critically at your performance because we're gonna talk about it. So let's just get that out of the way right now. We're gonna talk about it. And we're going to have after action reviews and those after action reviews are going to ask questions. I have, this is kind of crazy. I'm a little bit of a nerd on this. I have three cameras that I run on a fire scene. Uh, two of them for sure. One is a dash cam. I, I mounted a GoPro to, to my helmet. Uh, people thought it was ridiculous and it looks ridiculous, but it gets me what I wanted, what I want. And it's good video of everything that I'm doing and everything that I see. And then my third camera, which is newer, is a 360, a GoPro 360 cam that I, I hook onto our mobile command post. And if I position it correctly, it sees the fire and it can see the entire command board. And so we have the ability to see the entire operation, at least from a couple different perspectives. And then a couple of the guys have helmet cams and, and we'll get some film from them. And I like to put it together and, and watch that game film. Now, I'm, I, I never let the camera 
if I get the camera turned on and it's working, great. Um, but I'm not going to spend any time with it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and I move on because that's not why I'm there. So, you know, the the camera that gets hooked up on the on the um, command board, uh, I haven't really got that dialed in the way I wanted to because I'm not going to spend the time at a fire uh, to do that. If I capture, you know, if I capture everything, great. If I don't, we get as much as we can. But then we look at that. I put it together from the different perspectives, and we look at it. And we say, you know, that's a that's a pretty good equalizer. Like, you know, I, I noticed a lot of things that I do and I've changed a lot of things that I do based on watching my videos. And I don't do it in a punitive way. I show the video for the shift. They watch it. You know, they want to see it. They're like, hey, chief, did you get any video? How'd the video turn out? Like they're looking forward to seeing it. And I play it and I just let it go. And and they pretty much police themselves. Because, you know, once it's out there, you can't you can't get away from it. So they look at it and, you know, they'll call each other out and we try and keep it light. And, uh, you know, and we discuss the things that we need to discuss. But we developed that as a culture that we're going to go. We're going to get together. We're going to do an after action. We're going to go through the little presentation that I put together. We're going to ask questions and and watch video and talk about it. And we're going to learn from it. And then hopefully the next fire, we're better. That's not to say that we weren't good on that fire, but we can always be better. We can always continue to improve. I don't like Tom Brady. I'm, I, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but, you know, there's a reason that he throws a thousand footballs every day. And he doesn't expect to go out and have a Super Bowl performance without preparing for a Super Bowl performance. And part of that is watching game film and is um, studying the opponent and studying each other, developing those relationships. And then they go out and they, you know, they built Super Bowl winning teams. They didn't just go out and have a good day. Um, they had a good day because of all of the work they put in on the other days. So I try and do that with myself and training, and I try and hold others accountable to do the same thing. I think that's the only way that we move forward effectively as a fire service. I'll just have to say one thing. I Tom Brady went to U of M. And so and and also <laughs> I'm a Lions fan. I don't have a lot to look forward to. Um so and we just lost our amazing quarterback as well. So uh I am a I am a Tom Brady fan. Tom Brady fan. So but I do get what you're saying. I do 100 yeah. percent get what you're saying. He doesn't. That's just, why I knew that. I knew that about you. That's why I said that. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, just, I heard you talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll be honest. I am a Tom Brady fan. He went to U of M. I grew up watching him, um, but I'm also a Lions fan. So I have like this half like this half success model of someone I watched growing up, and then the Lions. I still go in every season. Like this is our year. I, we did. We 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 hired our forty seventh coach, but uh, this is going to be our year, and it's going to happen again this year. Um, but you uh, got to do that when you walk in the door of the firehouse, too. Yeah, this is like, uh, this today's is, the day. I'm today, going to a fire today. We're going to knock it out. Dude, the so so I said before. So we have you know we're we're a high EMS you know bedroom community, and and I my you know my captain will make fun of me because every every shift I'll walk in. And I'll, I I feel it. Today's the day. Today, and I'm uh, I'm on like I don't know, you know I don't know shift fifty with no fire, and but but again I'm walking into it hoping again 
I like going to fire. We're, we, we, we all, I, I, I didn't get into this job to go do a lift assist. It's part of my job, and that's, and that's what I will do, and I will make sure that I can help that person as much as possible. Um, but I do enjoy going to fire. I, we do enjoy that, the whole aspect of it from the smoke, the fire, the, the relative danger to the operation, everything and everyone for the most part is on that, um, on that same page. And, um, what, uh, in regards to having the cameras and having that ability to have the after action review and actually quantified information that says, no, you know, you might thought you did it this way, but let's go to the videotape. I know it's probably not how it's portrayed by any means, but, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a big mindset, especially in our area, um, where they, they, they outlaw cameras because if they capture us doing something wrong, quote unquote, we're, we're fucked. Like the department is fucked if we do something wrong. Um, and I can see that kind of nervousness in terms of, I don't know if you're thinking grandiose lawyers and all this other stuff, but if we're going into it, and, and we know our shit's dialed in. If we know we have we have SOPs in place, we know that our crew is trained and we have given them the equipment to succeed, um, then at least from my level, and I and I can appreciate that that and at least understand that mindset, but you're without uh the the video and you're the first person I've ever heard of a GoPro 360, and that's just a genius idea. I mean, that thing was probably intended for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, snowboarders on a mountain, and to, and to use it uh, in this capacity, I think, is just a genius amount because there is so much that happens on a fire ground that does not involve the the, the alpha side front door and the, and the line going in. Um, I mean, everything from, from, from and, you know, laying into the truck placement to, to a, you know, PD placement, accessing um, various parts of uh, exposures. Um, that's a that's such a good part of it. But is that something that's supported by the department, and um, or is that kind of just your your own thing that just is just working to get your um, your membership, um, you know, just more dialed in? So I I think that that our department supports it. Officially, our department has no position on it. For sure. We don't have a we don't have a position that outlaws it. We don't have a position that um, allows it to happen. Um, so that has, you know, we know the potential consequence is, you know, one one bad video gone viral. We we know how that goes, and we also know that that could be the end of of it. Um, so I think we police ourselves pretty well. Um, you know, there's videos that I, I will post online. My, my, my goal is not to, like, I don't set out to create videos to post online. If I have a video that has value to it, then um, I'll release it. I'll put it on my YouTube channel. And I'm going to start doing some, some stuff that I think is going to be pretty cool with the videos that I do have coming up shortly. But that is never the goal when I'm responding to the incident. So there's plenty of videos that you're not going to see because um, either they're just, you know, nothing really happened or 
they weren't that great. Like, I'm not just going to, you know, put everything out there. Uh, that being said, we'll, we certainly watch every video and we learn from those. Um, and then if it's good, good enough to share, then, you know, we'll share it. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not unwilling to share a video that doesn't go so well either, but I'm going to put it in the context of, of training. And, you know, I've had videos, sometimes I go to a fire and it's just not my day. And I just seem like I'm off and I'm like, why did I say that? Like, that was ridiculous or, you know, whatever. And I have to look at it in, I look at it and I'll share it with my guys. We'll watch that video. But do I need to put it online and get berated by some dude in another state that I don't know who doesn't know me or know anything that happened that day or like that, that serves no purpose. And as a fire service, we need to get better at that. You know, a, a photograph is one on average, one two fiftieth of a second worth of time. It's absolutely impossible for you to extrapolate out SOPs, staffing, volume of fire, anything from one photograph that's one two fiftieth of a second of time. So stop doing that. That's my message to the fire service. Stop attacking your brothers and sisters for something you know nothing about. Video is a, is a little bit uh, is a little bit different because you get a little bit more time, but you still don't know staffing. You know you don't know if that dude's uh, in the middle of a divorce. You don't know if that dude just got uh, found out that somebody in his family was in a car crash, and then oops, now we got a fire. Like I'm not making excuses for people, but you don't know, and we hold people so we hold them to a standard that is unreachable on social media. And those are our brothers and sisters and we preach brotherhood and we preach taking care of our own and that we are our brother's keeper. Uh, but we don't live that as a fire service and social media is killing us with that. But social media is not killing us. Social media is the platform. We are killing each other for no reason. You don't know. And and most of these people are not posting videos of their own performance. I would love to see those. I, when, somebody when somebody really goes to town on something that I post, I always invite them to come. Like, feel free, come. You can ride with me. I'd be more than happy to have you come down here and you can ride with me and take a look at what we're faced with and, and how we do what we do. I'll stand behind everything that we do. And I've never had anybody take me up on that because they're cowards. Um, we got to stop that. That's that's really creating a problem for us. All right. I'm sorry. I'm uh, there's a little tangent, but um, no, but it, know. but it speaks because the the self-imposed shield of a keyboard warrior is um, is is in that, that social media, I think, has created um, it is so alive and well. And there and we have had instances and we've had our own experiences where 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 something happens you know it something happens while en route to a call and and here where i live we have um this this insane it, it, i mean wildly insane um community chat group and, and it's got like 20,000 people in it and we're a community surrounding of like i don't know 70,000 so like we have a like it's like we have so many people in this group and all it takes is one person to complain on this. It could be a citizen. 
to complain on this group, and it makes it all the way to the mayor, and then the mayor turns around, and now we're questioning the chief and the guy based on this one issue that they found. Now, this one person will not go to the, the fire chief's office, won't go to headquarters, won't go to the mayor, but because this one person makes the claim, there's so many people that will take that um, as the gospel, and it's, um, I think you're exactly right. I think it's killing um, our own fire service, and I think it's killing like our unity in as as a as a brotherhood and sisterhood of this job because they're so quick to look at something and criticize what they did or what they didn't do differently. Now you can take that information and put it on your own agency and say if we were presented with this same opportunity or this same incident based on what we have how how could we approach it and would we you know find our way to do it differently uh than what they did but to eviscerate someone on 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 something that they they did or god forbid something that they're passionate about that's probably what pisses me off the most is when you just have some guy that's passionate about something or enjoys this part of something in our job and then they get berated for having like a stupid opinion on it or or what they did was ridiculous because of, of X, Y, and Z reasons. And then you just watch the arguments unfold in the comment section. And, and I'm a firm believer that no one's opinion has ever been changed in, in, a, in a comment thread, ever. You just dig your heels in deeper on whatever side that you're on. And um, no, I think it answers a question that like I was getting to is what's the fire service doing wrong? And I think that's exactly the answer to it right there. I think we have, I think social media opened up such a large outlook to to be able to find other areas to pull from to make fire departments better and there are fire departments and crews and battalions and ships that have gotten better because of social media <clears throat> excuse me but the 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 other side of the uh, other side of it is is the keyboard warrior that just feels that they need to i guess interject some sort of opinion and you're exactly right. When called to the carpet, they go silent or they stop responding or they just never follow through or post anything of their own that they're going to be able to, to, to project. Yeah, we've gotten away from like this. I, so we do, we do roof operations and, and our fire attack ventilation and stuff very differently than the West Coast does it. But, but who cares? Like, I don't care if it works for them. Like, there's probably a fire department in California at a fire right now doing something that we won't, we don't do in our in our department. I don't care, and they shouldn't care about what I'm doing. We we move each other forward together, but like we're like maybe I need to understand what they're doing, but I don't. You know, New York City is another great example. Like they have a huge response. They have a response to a second alarm fire that's bigger than my department. So, like, I take what they do and I learn from it and I say, oh, that's pretty cool and that's not going to work for us. And, you know, I apply what I can and I leave what I can't. That doesn't mean they're not doing it right for them. It's right for them. So so let them go. So I don't understand why we we have to be so critical uh, of each other. And and somewhere along the line, 
somebody came up with this template of what a badass fireman is supposed to look like, sound like, and act like. And, you know, there's little tweaks depending on where you're from, I would suppose. But, like, if you don't act like that, like, I hear people talk, you know, say stuff on the radio. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, you're just trying to sound like somebody else or, like, you're just trying to sound – like, I'm not putting on a show. I'm responding to an emergency. And and I don't care if I sound like – I mean, I care if I sound like an idiot on the radio. I do more times than I don't. But I, I, I'm not – I'm not there to entertain the people listening at home and I I'm there to do my job. And, and sometimes I say things that are, are not the coolest thing. You know, I look back and like, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that or whatever, but who cares? You move on. But we've, we've got this standard that people hold themselves to and people get held to that. You know, you gotta have, uh, you gotta sound a certain way. You gotta dress a certain way. You gotta have certain hobbies. You gotta, you know, drink beer all the time, like all this stuff, like who cares? Like that has nothing to do with anything. Do you respond and do your job effectively? That should be the standard of what uh, a, a fireman or firefighter is held to, not do you meet all this other nonsense? I mean, it's okay if you do those things, if you, if, you, if you're a hunter, if you're uh, into cars, what, whatever, I don't care. That's cool, but that doesn't define the rest of us. What should define the rest of us is taking care of one another, continuously improving at the job we do, and trying to serve the public as efficiently and effectively as we can. That's what the standard should be, not any of this other stuff. And we need to come back to that. And I just so I, I just spoke with uh, AJ Fusco from Fork, Fork and Hose Company, and um, the 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 same sort of. It has like a, a similar parallel, and Anthony Bourdain. We talked about on, on the last podcast that I just did. Um, Anthony Bourdain has this quote where the that the uh, a chef or someone that works in a restaurant, uh, the the person he hates the most is someone on Yelp giving them a a, a poor review, um, because it eliminates everything that went into making that restaurant right so he talks about this guy he 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 finally he's he year years saves up enough money develops a menu they finally he gets the courage to open a restaurant and and then someone within 10 minutes of them opening and leaving goes online and writes worst meal ever and and that's going to then have just this and the same thing happened um, and I just talked about it too. In my town, this guy who has—you uh, said it earlier. I'll say it, I'll say it again. He had a set of balls on him because he opened a restaurant during COVID. God love him for it. And then some Karen on the chat room like ripped him apart because he, they thought it was nothing special. Like that that same thing is is what we're doing to 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 ourselves here, where you remove every sort of piece you have no idea if that guy had a bad stretch that day maybe he tweaked his ankle coming off the rig there there is so many other variables to that and again just uh to close it out like to we just gotta stop doing that and 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 that sort of uh cannibalism of our own profession because it really is that you know i'm guilty of 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 reviews like you know if i want to buy something on amazon uh, I go to the reviews. I go right to the worst review, and 
Um, you know, if you think about that, I don't, I don't know what, what that, what's the context of that review? You know, does that guy know anything about the product that I'm buying? What were his expectations? Did he have a terrible day? Was he in a car accident today? Like all of that stuff factors in. So you just got to look at it and say, okay, that's a little bit of information, but let me make my own judgment on this. And I think that's, you know, go getting back to the videos and stuff. You got to you got to make your own judgment. But, you know, uh, I just listened to some guys talking about the uh, video that was out recently of a, of a chief in New York City. And they were kind of critiquing uh, from an incident command standpoint what what the guy was was uh, doing on the fire ground. And, you know, there's a there's there's value in having that discussion and, and looking at that. But I'm not I'm not going to judge what what they're doing because it's not my department it's not mine to to make that judgment um you know i i don't know the parameters of that scenario so i can't really speak to it i can just kind of take it in and evaluate it and if it works it works if it doesn't you know it doesn't and um you know to to follow up on the 360 camera uh it's something i'm trying i don't know if it's going to work yet or not i haven't been completely successful in getting it to work the way I envision it, but it's going to give me the opportunity to see the fire ground and simultaneously see what's happening at the command post and trying to improve that, um, uh, you know, tracking the incident and being able to look back at that part of it, because that that's part of my job as well is to track everything for the, for reporting and for, you know, for future training and stuff. So I look at that, but it'll give me the opportunity to, to look at that and say, okay, I can see the fire and I can see what I was doing and kind of evaluate that and hear the discussions and stuff and, and, and try and make an improvement. Uh, hopefully it works the way I, I'd like it to, uh, but it's all about that. It's all about improvement. It's all about evaluating. What did I do? How can I do it better? I want to be better at my job. And that's, you know, that's the, if I were, if I try and remember everything that I did at a fire, I'm not going to, and it's going to be, it's going to be colored by, um, biases and, and predispositions and, and just, you know, you don't remember things the way they actually were. Ask Brian Williams how that worked out for him. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, but yeah. when you when you listen to I think it was Malcolm Gladwell talk to Brian Williams, uh, talk about Brian Williams and how that how that happened. You know, I, I'm not taking all the blame away from him, but your brain operates in a way that that kind of stuff changes over time as it stores its memories and 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 different things. So when you when it, you come back to that later, it can be different from what you experienced in the moment or from what somebody else experienced because their their brain is remembering it based on their perceptions and stuff like that. So it's really interesting and you can go way you know, deep on that. But my point is, you know, if I just try and remember everything and then say, okay, I'm going to be better next time. Um, I think using the cameras and being able to go back and track all of that and track what I did and how I did it uh, is going to be, a lot more effective for me to identify areas that I need to improve in and then come up with strategies based on what I saw to make those changes moving forward. 
So that's what I think is going to happen. Um, I'm excited about trying it. Um, I just got to, I just got to get it nailed down. I, I have yet to be able to make all my cameras work, uh, the way I want them to at the same time at the same fire. So, well, <laughs> and like I said, it's not my job to do that. So if I just abandon it, if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. So, yeah. And I think too, the, the Brian Williams thing is such a great example of, I, I, I guess memory recognition, especially after the fact, um, because the, the, the sympathetic nervous system and, and your stress level is going to play such a key role in how you remember something because your focus and your entire physiological response to your body changes under stress, not, you know, take away, um, physical exertion, hypoxia, um, you know, uh, uh, body temperature in, in, in increases. Um, and so that's, again, I think another, I think it's another good positive, even, even a simple dash cam on a, on a, on a command vehicle, um, on the fire ground, I think is such a good learning tool because you, like you said, if you, if you're just test like having to remember it, you're not, you're not going to remember it in a true unbiased perception um, that, that, that you may think, um, because everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna walk away from something. Um, someone's gonna, if you remember it at all, if you remember it at all, you might not remember that you yelled at this crew because they were moving slow. And for whatever reason there, they have, they, when they walked away from that fire, regardless of how it went, that's what they remembered. Now you might not remember yelling, but, but again, that's, that's why I think this kind of content to, is needed and i think there's a a a i don't want to say a general it could be a generational disconnect or a generational fear um of of administrative level leadership down to maybe a a, a green fireman or a, even an off younger officers in between um is this this fear that the reason a camera wants to enter a fire ground is to get a wicked cool helmet video and post it to YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. And I think that's a I think that is a a communication at least in our job to where if we can have an effective rollout of of video to capture what we're doing um, under the confines that it doesn't make it to social media and have policies and SOPs and and and, and understanding in place um, where we can take that footage for review. Now you can store it on a department hard drive and keep it there. I, I think the basis for it is is to develop ourselves professionally to get better. And I think, and, and I'll probably just you know from my personal experiences, I think communication on the people that that want it have to improve and create a, a better roadmap to the people that that are are are. are fearful of it or opposed to it um and you know i've had the same sort of you know want and desire for just a a, a dash cam gopro and and we you know we you know we signed policies and said that we couldn't you know we, it would not be deployable on a fire ground it would not be you know nothing could be distributed unless written approval from the fire chief and that's and that's fine i would just like to see that at some point in my career transition to being able to utilize it at least in a command vehicle setting, uh, to, to take that forward. Um, 
but I guess to I know we've been talking for a little bit now, but I, I, there was one thing that I was really interested in here, Brian, about um, part of the conference hot classes that that you said were actually pretty unique to your area. And I just want to like just listen to and and, and learn about it was. Um, the, the the ventilation technique that you guys have or or the operation uh that that you guys have what what is that and what's a you know because we had talked a little bit earlier that said it's a pretty niche thing to your area um but 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 what uh what encompasses that well i think um the only reason that our our ventilation and i don't want to say it's different from anybody else's we, we just put a lot of um emphasis on it uh, is because of our building construction. Uh, I think anybody that has similar building construction to what we do uh, is doing the same the same thing for for the most part. Um, we have a hundred plus year old ordinary and wood frame row houses. That is the majority of our construction. Uh, they have a lot of void spaces, and we get a lot of fire in those void spaces, whether it's balloon framing or just the inherent interconnectivity of the void spaces that come with the styles of row houses that we have, ventilation is a key uh, element to, to what, what we do, our fire attack. Um, I know that uh, um, there are people based on um, information that's coming out from studies that are saying other things and I'm not opposed to the studies at all. Um, I've always been opposed to the bastardization of the information that comes out of those studies. Um, I think that the information that comes out is good. And I think that, you know, you have people that are taking that information and running with it for their own uh, gain. And then you also have people that are doing exactly the opposite and just completely ignoring it and saying, well, that doesn't apply. Well, it does apply because fire is, is physics and it's, it's, it's not changed. Fire hasn't changed. Fire operates the way fire operates. So you need to understand the science. And I think what the studies are doing is codifying the, this, the basic operation of the fire, how the fire operates, how it's going to perform in certain situations and how we affect that um that's all stuff that we know um we're just kind of doing it backwards we got we're getting the science now to back up the things that we're doing just because this science comes out i think doesn't mean that we need to wholesale change everything um we have not changed a lot and you know we i get it uh there's some dudes on youtube that every time i post a video love to call us dinosaurs they love to attack us and, and say that we don't know what we're doing, but you're not going to drive down the street in Harrisburg and see a house still on fire. So, you know, we put our, we put the fires out. Uh, we do it as effectively as we can, and we do it based on the tactics that have worked. That being said, we also pay attention to what's going on in the world. And we understand that the stuff that we're putting in these houses is changing and the heat release heat release rates are different, and you know we might be um, we might be encountering fires that are uh, behaving a little differently than we're used to because of what's burning on the inside. But the building generally performs the same. 
Um, and we generally conduct our ventilation the way we have it. We've slowed down on, on taking uh, windows and, and our horizontal ventilation game has changed up a little bit, but vertical ventilation in a row house setting is still pretty critical. And, um, you know, we continue to have a strong vertical ventilation game because it, it's effective in the buildings that we're operating in. We have a, a, an interior stairwell that goes from the first floor to the third floor. And generally right above that, uh, at the top of the third floor stairs. So let me back up. We have two basic types of row houses. We have a two and a half story uh, row house that are generally wood frame and, and um, some are ordinary, but generally wood frame two and a half story with a dormer uh, in the front and the back. And then we have a three story wood frame or ordinary row style that is three stories in the front with a two story bump out in the back and they generally have flat roofs. So that that's what we're dealing with. And in those three story row houses, um, when you go to the roof and you go to the back, those bump outs in the back create a little air shaft. I call it an open air shaft between houses. It's an air and light uh, alleyway that allows uh, air and, and light to get into the house. Um, and at the top of that is generally a window, and that window is generally at the top of the steps. That's an easy way to let pressure off that house. Pop that window, and you can, you're ventilating all the way down to the first floor. Um, and then we'll open up a hole right above there. You know, if you come 15 feet back and about four feet in and put a four by eight hole, you've captured the top of the steps and the hallway. And, um, and we do that very often. Now, if it's a top floor fire, things are a little bit different because that's, that's, that's different because we're trying to stop it from getting into the cock loft. We're going to do a primary vent hole over the main body of fire and then go from there. Um, but we try and get those steps ventilated. All of that being said, you got to have water on the fire. And, you know, if you start ventilating too early, you're going to draw the fire. We know that. And the science is backed up, back that up. We know that, um, you know, it's the same thing as hitting the fire from the outside. Like we've been doing that forever. Like we're not going around back of a house to hit fire in a window because it's impractical for us in our neighborhood. Uh, but if we have a lot of fire shown our policy, our standard operating procedure is two or more floors of fire lead off with the deck gun. You don't have to, but that's what, that's, that's a really good tactic. And, you know, we used to have markers in our engines in the front, in the front little placard, and it said, stang it. And it's just a reminder, you know, big water can win the day. Um, so knock it down and then go in after it. If it's coming out onto the porch, you have to fight that fire from the outside and then go inside and mop it up. Like, that's not new. We've been doing that for years. Um, but people have made it new and now they're arguing over it. But we've been doing it. So we're just continuing to do the things that we did. So back to ventilation, um, you know, we get in there. Uh, we will uh, horizontally ventilate when it's appropriate. Um, we'll coordinate. I ask my uh, engine companies to transmit water on the fire. As soon as you get water on the fire, make that transmission. Then everybody knows, okay, now it's game on. 
And if I'm seeing something different on the outside and I realize, hey, maybe they have water on some fire, but not the fire, then we can we can make an adjustment for that. And, and we can say, hey, hold off on the ventilation or, uh, you know, hey, you're not hitting the, the main body of fire, whatever. I like to have those discussions. Some people don't like to talk on the radio. I think if you're adding value to the incident and you're not saying stupid stuff, then go ahead and, and put it out there. It keeps us coordinated. We talk about coordinated ventilation and you can hear the engine company operating. You can see the engine company operating. But how about you just tell me what you're doing? And then everybody on the fire ground, if they're paying attention, can hear it, and it keeps us all on the same track. So we'll we'll take out the windows, you know, um, and then we'll we'll do that rooftop ventilation. Once once it's in the once it's in the cock loft, then it's a whole different ballgame. And and now we're considering you know trench operations and and that kind of stuff. But our basic ventilation has not changed. We um, we coordinate with the engine company. We um, ventilate the steps and then we ventilate based on where the fire is at um it's you know it's it's pretty simple in my opinion it's if you follow the pattern um and there's no really strange anomaly um it works and it's worked for a hundred years and i get called a dinosaur because of that well you know i'm willing to change there's lots of things that will change but i'm not going to change something that's effective no, absolutely. I think to the the you know as long as as long as you have a well coordinated attack, you know, I don't want to say regardless of your techniques, but as if you're working as a well communicated and well coordinated effort, um, regardless of what task level operation you're doing, you're setting yourself up. I think long term on that incident for success. Um, Brian, you've given like you've given us uh, like almost ninety minutes. I can't appreciate this time more. I I do want to talk about. Um, the art of firemanship days, I did see, um, that due to, due, due to COVID, and I think venue restriction, um, it was canceled this year. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, we're struggling as much as any, anybody, you know, we, we didn't in 2020, we postponed it. Uh, we, we held off as long as we could in making that decision. And when it became apparent that things were going downhill, you know, we said, we're just going to hold everything in place and move it to 2021, and then uh, we'll run it then. And everybody was cool with that. Well, 2021 came, yep. and uh, it's it's not as <laughs> great as we thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and the venue is going to remain uh, closed until August. And, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. And uh, in our area... Um, some of the alternative um, lecture spaces are also closed and not reopening. So there's, there's not a lot of options. We, we try to put out a good product and looking at what we were going to have to try to do to make it happen. It didn't make any sense. Uh, the product was going to suffer. It was going to become complicated. And, you know, the other thing is too, we don't want to be involved in spreading this thing. And, you know, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but when you get a bunch of people together, that's how stuff spreads. So we have a responsibility there as well. Uh, and we just came to the decision that um, we weren't going to try and do it in another way. Hack has been a good partner to us. And, uh, you know, we'll wait for them to come back online and then reevaluate it. Now, the one thing that we did do uh, this year is we're canceling it completely. So it's being canceled. Everybody's going to get a refund 
and we're going to start over. Like, I, I didn't want to just keep stringing people along and holding on to their registration money and saying, you know, like, that's a lot of money for some people to to be having out there. And then fire departments, you know, have to deal with it in their budget and stuff like that. So we figured the best thing to do would be return everybody's money and then start fresh. So that's the current plan. And when things get to the point where we can start doing that, you know, we'll take a look at how we're going to move forward from that point. So it sucks though. We, it's not what we wanted. We, we yeah. miss seeing everybody. <laughs> like it's, it's fun. Like it's a lot of work. And you know, by the time the conference gets there, I, I, I'm so frustrated with the conference. Like, right. It's so much fun when it actually happens and you get to see everybody that, you know, it's kind of become a, a group of people that you, you, you look forward to seeing the same faces and, and being able to do some great training and, and hang out with people. And, you know, we miss that. And we know that there's a lot of people that miss it too. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out, but yeah, uh, we're, we're in that, you know, we have, uh, you know, everything that you just described, man, we're, uh, you know, we have, you know, our, uh, this, this, uh, charity event, this charity ball for, uh, you know, our organization. And it's been going for like, you know, 30, you know, 30 plus years and same sort of thing. COVID hit, we pushed it back and then it didn't get better. And then, um, you know, we're scheduled for, you know, a month and a half. And I don't know if you pay attention to the news, but um, Mi- Mi- Michigan is, is not the most open state for, for the most part. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, no, no, <laughs> so I think, uh, that's definitely a conversation we're going to have with our people is just kind of make, I think have to make that tough call. Um, and just like, like you said, to, to, to do something now, um, outside of, of um you know complicated and 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 a whole bunch of other variables that you have to get over um you know at the end of the day you know the last thing that that I think I want and and you mentioned it too is any sort of responsibility for for any one person to get it when when the prevention of it can just get canceled and you know we'll come back we'll come back bigger we'll come back better and we'll still you know that way nothing nothing of value or expectation is sacrificed um for it well um and brian i uh i do appreciate your time i would love um further down the line one of the things i think that doesn't exist here which sucks and it shouldn't be like this and actually my 2021 goal i think is to develop framework for a motor city fire conference and it doesn't exist right now there is no fire conferences in our state um so I think I would love to start the framework of it. So if you're open, down uh, the li- you think you think you want to <laughs> down the line. I well down the line. I want to pick your brain, and ultimately you can tell me you're an idiot. Just just go to a different one and take it take back the information. But it's one thing I no, at least I, want to I, invest in. I'll tell you, you're an idiot. Go ahead and do it. Yes, because it's it's worth it. Yes. It's, okay. Like, you want to ruin your life, go ahead and start a, a fire conference uh, because you'll have problems that you didn't even know you could have. But at the same time, um, it's worth it. We need to get the message out there. We need to get like-minded people together. And uh, and that's the way to do it. And, you know, the, the brother and sisterhood, the training, it, it's it's worth all of the nonsense. That um, uh, you're, I but, think that's a great quote. You're an idiot. Do it. That's I right. love I love yeah. that. I love that so much. <laughs> Yep. Uh, I mean, that's why I keep running my my head into the wall. It's, <laughs> it's uh, fun. It's awesome. Fun. Well, 
Brian, I'm sure at some point we'll connect. Um, thank you so much for your time. You've given me yeah, uh, so much good information. I had so much fun talking with you, man. It, it, um, it was really great. And I wish um, you and everybody else back at Harrisburg and you and your family all the best. And hopefully um, 2022 can can be uh, um, uh, the, the, the rejuvenation of Art of Firemanship. And as soon as the dates come out, I'll, 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 I'm going to do everything I can to get out there and uh, check it out. Yeah, you got about four minutes when the dates when the when the registration opens. You got four minutes to make something happen. That's how quick it sells so, out. Generally, yeah. <sighs> that's how you know it's good. That's that's a good sign. <laughs> that's a good sign. Awesome. Well, if anything, one one, if, thing, one thing I just want to say at the end of this, it's a, it's a little disclaimer, is I I um, I have my opinions. I have ways that I that I do stuff. Um, if people find value in applying that to things that they do. That's fantastic. If if it doesn't work for you, I'm cool with that too. Um, so take take anything I said with a grain of salt. If it works for you, fantastic. If not, you know you don't have to call me an idiot. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. So um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and and having this conversation. Amen. Well, best of luck, Brian, and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Take care, brother. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Uh, I want to thank Chief Bestinelli for giving us his time, um, learning and, and, and hearing from him what, what he's doing to make his battalion better, his guys better. Um, and then just the use of technology and the cameras and, 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 and like the GoPro 3D, like that's such a great idea. Um, we should be imploring those uh, techniques to, to be able to have those hard conversations with ourselves um, that yeah, maybe we do suck maybe that you pulled the line wrong but also you made a phenomenal grab or you threw a ladder like a boss um so i i don't know i had a great time talking with them and uh please follow the art of firemanship days um they're gonna come back they're gonna come back better uh and and i'm willing and able if guy willing and, and able i can get out there um i'm gonna uh so thank you so much and uh, have a great day.